0: His winnowing fork is in his hand to gather the wheat into his granary, but the chaff he will burn with an unquenchable fire. So with these and other exhortations, uh, he preached the good news to the people. You might be hearing this and wondering how throwing people into an unquenchable fire is good news. This is a great question to ask, especially since today is Gaudaute Sunday, which means Rejoice Sunday. So how is this good news? How are we to rejoice at this preaching of John the Baptist? So if you haven't been with us for the past few weeks, uh, we're in the Advent season. It's a penitential season, time preparing to get ready for the Lord's return, and also on reflecting on last things, on heaven, hell, death, and judgment. So this week's gospel is focused on the fiery preaching of John the Baptist, one of the greatest preachers of all time. He was known far and wide. As the disciples went out as missionaries, they found uh, followers of John the Baptist as far away from Jerusalem as Asia Minor. He was an excellent, very well renowned preacher. He was known, John the Baptist was known for saying things like, You vipers, you snakes. Who warned you to, free, to flee from the wrath to come? His preaching had people shaking in their sandals, begging to know what they needed to do to repent, to turn their lives around. He was a very effective preacher, but he told the people that his fiery orations had, uh, were nothing in comparison to the one who was to come. That if he compared himself to Christ, even his preaching to Christ, he says, I wouldn't even be unworthy to unlatch, you know, one of his sandals. So if you think that John the Baptist's wrathful message of judgment is difficult, it's nothing. It's a whisper in the wind compared to the preaching of Christ. So before I describe the the hellfire preaching of Christ... I know that this is, uh, for some, difficult to hear. A challenging topic, uncomfortable, and that's okay. It's okay to have difficulty with it. It's okay to struggle, to sit, to think, to pray, to grapple with our Lord over this. In the same way that, uh, that Jacob of old wrestled with him. Christ gave this teaching for your good. So remember that his teaching on hell is not... Is, is not to send you there, but to preserve you, to deliver you from going there. St. Ignatius of Loyola would rejoice today, uh, on God Doubte Sunday, about this gospel reading. He used to say that he knew of no sermons more useful and beneficial than those on hell. St. Teresa of Avila would often bid her nuns to go to hell as often as possible, so as in spirit, so as to, um, to avoid th- hell in reality. So Jesus, yes, he echoed John's teaching about the wicked being cast in everlasting fire on many different occasions, but also he went beyond that, far beyond that. He said, you know, if your hand or foot causes you to sin, you should cut it off. It's better, he said, than being thrown into eternal fire. He was saying that the pains of hell are scarcely a shadow when compared, or the pains of this earth are scarcely a shadow when compared to the torments of the damned. He described hell as a place where Their worm, where their worm does not die. The hell analogy that that Christ often used was Gehenna. So Gehenna was this trash heap where trash was constantly burned. There are also parts that weren't on fire, but they were covered, crawling with worms and vermin. St. John Bosco, in a vision of hell, described seeing people covered with worms and vermin that gnawed at their vitals, hearts, eyes, hands, legs, and bodies so ferociously as to defy description. Some people laugh about hell and say, "Oh, well, you know, big deal. I'm going to just go down there and, and party with all of my friends. It's going to be a great time." But the reality is much different. Our Lord revealed to Saint John the Evangelist in the of Revelation talked about uh, hell being the wine press of God's wrath, meaning that people are tightly pressed together. So, various saints have talked about this in their visions and things uh, that they've seen. Saint John Bosco, Saint Alfonso Liguori, and other saints who've had visions of hell say that however you fall, there you remain for all time. On your back, on your side, head down for all eternity. So like claustrophobia on steroids. But of course, there are lesser pains. These, these are the lesser pains, I should say. The physical pains, these are the lesser pains. The Catechism of the Catholic Church says that the chief punishment of hell is eternal separation from God in whom alone man can possess the life And happiness for which he was created and for which he longs. So, our Lord described this using the words saying that men will weep and gnash their teeth, meaning that this is a place of mental anguish. Imagine there you are, stuck for all eternity in this horrible place where all you can do is remember all the many graces, even the extraordinary means that you were given to amend your ways, to persevere in virtue, to grow and to earn paradise. And there you are stuck recalling over and over how you turned down those opportunities. You remember all the bad choices, all the decisions and actions through which you labored for your own damnation. Even worse, you have knowledge of the great happiness which you forfeited in losing your soul. You know that the situation is irreparable and there's nothing you can do about it. You fiercely hate God, his love, his commandments, his people, everything about him. You know there's no escape for all eternity. This is the chief punishment of hell, everlasting separation from God. So yeah, I would say that the dire warnings of judgment preached by John the Baptist were effective, but they were, uh, couldn't, didn't come anywhere close in comparison to what our Lord talks about the horrible torments that will come upon all those who have uh, deliberately, rejected the Son of Man, rejecting His teaching, rejecting those He sent, His church, His death on the cross, rejecting His love and forgiveness. Christ's teaching on hell is difficult to hear, but it's good for the soul. It's good for your soul. It's good for others' souls. We may care and reach out to them as well. The big question, of course, that always comes up is, why? Why would... God do this? Why would an all-loving, good, merciful God allow such punishments to exist for those that he loves? I mean, these are some pretty graphic descriptions. Now, why would God allow this type of hell to exist? Why not just like, you know, annihilation or, um, you know, maybe, you know, disappearing from existence? Or even better, maybe universalism. Everybody just kind of go to heaven or, or maybe there's some, like short-term punishments or, You know, instead of eternity. Why eternity? The answer to all this is that hell exists because God is an all-loving God. In fact, hell only exists because of God's love. Let me explain. You see, God is an all-loving Father, and he seeks sons and daughters who will return that love, freely return that love. He didn't have to make you this way, He didn't have to give you free will. He could have designed, you know, for example, that you had to go through this, uh, you know, millions perhaps of reincarnations uh, until you're forced to make the particular, you know, decisions required so you can enter into non-existence, into nirvana. You know, part of the good news of hell is that God loved you so much that he gave you the human dignity of making your own choices and that your choices matter. They really matter. They eternally matter. The doctrine of hell affirms that your choices, your decisions, your actions, they're really, truly, eternally significant. On the other hand, if hell is not real, then what you do doesn't really matter in the long run. If you can freely spurn God, your fellow man, yourself, and your own good, and then simply cease to exist, well then, all this is for naught. It doesn't matter. You don't matter. Your decisions, your actions... All this doesn't really matter in the long run. Your life is basically a meaningless existence, a mindless short-term experience chasing after uh, pleasures here and avoiding pain. You know, the same is true if the punishments were simply milder or shorter or not eternal. You know, it doesn't really matter if everything turns out, you know, what does it matter if everything turns out the same for everyone in the end anyway? If this is true, then it doesn't matter what you say, your choices, Don't matter. You do not matter. But you do matter. You are made in the image of God. You have dignity. Your choices are eternally meaningful. God is a loving Father who seeks the free love of his children. And for that reason, you matter. Your decisions matter. Eternally. Ultimately, when it comes to understanding the concept of health, remember that God is good. While well, you might not be able to perfectly wrap your mind around this concept, trust that he's good. Ezekiel eighteen twenty-three says, Have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked? And not rather, that he should turn away from his way and live. Or 2 Peter 3, 9, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God is perfectly good. He's all loving. He's all just. If nothing else, don't fall into the prideful trap of judging that you have a better way, that you can judge an all-knowing, all-powerful God. At the very least, trust that hell is a mystery which you cannot understand and instead put your hope and your trust in the love and goodness of God. See, the extent that he's gone for you on his death on the cross, the abundant love, his goodness, his desperation to go to the greatest lengths to provide you with eternal life and not eternal death while still respecting your human dignity, your ability to choose, your choices. So why does God do all this? Why does God allow hell? Because he is love. He has given you, as one made in his image, the ability and dignity to freely choose or not to choose to love him in return. He's given you a life of significance, the ability to make eternally meaningful choices. The Catechism of the Catholic Church states, you cannot be united with God unless you freely choose to love him. You cannot love God if you sin gravely against him, against your neighbor, or against yourself. This state of definitive self-exclusion from communion with God and the blessed is called hell. So if you're in the state of mortal sin, meaning that's grave sin that you knowingly and deliberately do, you are in mortal peril. If you die in that state, you will go into eternal damnation. You do not want the chance of dying in that way. Rejoice today. that You've heard this homily, and then get to confession, get to a priest. As soon as you can, get those sins taken care of. Get them forgiven. So what's the good news about the unquenchable fire that John the Baptist, and even more so, our Lord Jesus preached about? It is, after all, Gaudaute Sunday. Rejoice Sunday. The doctrine of hell is an important part of the message of salvation. The proclamation of God's love. The dignity of free choice that he bestows upon those that he created in his own image. In this, you can Rejoice. Rejoice that while the wisdom of God is far beyond anything you might be able to fully grasp, he's good. And he offers these warnings for your good that you may be saved. Amen.